Hello and welcome to Incision UK podcast. In today's episode, we will be chatting to Dr. Ed Fitzgerald. Hello, Dr. Fitzgerald. Thank you very much for joining Incision UK today. Are you happy to introduce yourself for our audience? Thanks, Inez. Thank you very much for the invitation and really great to join you. My name is Ed Fitzgerald. I'm a surgical doctor by training and I've spent the last few years working, first of all, in global health and global surgery with research work in those areas and now working to support a health system redesign globally. Thank you for your introduction. Can you tell us a bit more about your journey into global surgery? So when did you learn about the field? How did you get interested in it? Um, and sort of how and why you've decided to make it a big part of your focus, professional focus. Well, thanks. Yes, I mean, it's been a really fascinating journey over the last few years. Without necessarily a, a great deal of pre-planning, I have to say, I was really fortunate as I was progressing through surgical training. I had the opportunity to uh, for a clinical fellowship with um, Lifebox Foundation. And I hadn't actually previously been involved in global surgery work before then, but I had been quite involved in aspects of medical education. And in particular, I helped introduce the surgical safety checklist amongst trainees in the UK when that was mandated in the National Health Service back in 2009. So I um, I saw the opportunity and it involved working to improve um, perioperative patient safety in low resource settings. And I was I was really interested in the work. Lifebox was still a a pretty young charity back then and not that widely known, but I was really fortunate to get the opportunity and took a year out of training to spend a lot of time working in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly in Rwanda, but also Madagascar, Republic of Congo during that year, actually working on the front line with clinicians to produce the surgical safety checklist as part of their clinical practice. And it was, it was absolutely fascinating work. I loved it. And it, was, it really made an impact. And it also reawoke an interest that I had in, in the bigger picture of how health systems operate, how they design, how they work safely, efficiently. And that year gave me, gave me some time to explore that further. I uh, carried on with Lifebox for, for another six months, um, supporting their move into uh, reducing surgical site infections. And and during that time, I was also involved in helping set up global collaborative research through Star Surge and Global Surgeon. So it all all kind of came together, really, for me to think that actually this was one opportunity in my career to uh, potentially spread my wings a little bit and think about um, how else I could apply this. And I also knew that if I didn't, uh, there was a grave risk that I would hurtle towards retirement, always wondering what if. So I went back to clinical practice part-time, but used that time to continue my interests in global health, global surgery research, just as it was starting to really develop around the time of the build-up towards the Lancet Commission on Global Surgery. And then subsequently took a role um, looking at the actual practical application of some of that. So since uh, summer 2016, I've been working with KPMG in their healthcare team, working right around the world to help support healthcare systems, healthcare providers think about redesigning their care system and and aspects of that. And that currently has me working in Bermuda, which is a really interesting place to be at uh, at these challenging times. And so you you alluded to actually global search. Can you tell us what it is and sort of how it started and and how you're you're involved in this now? Well, I think um, nothing ever comes from 
you know, working individually, your best results always come from working in a team. And Global Surge is really the, the research exemplification of that. Roll, roll the clock back to about 2013. I was working with one of my colleagues and a number of medical students. And we were thinking about the possibility of trying to scale research beyond individual hospitals. So if, you, if you're looking at studying outcomes and what's happening, you know, most research into Boston, a lot of it even today still looks at individual centres, even if they're large centres, it's, it's still one particular setting, which makes it more difficult to generalise and also makes it more difficult to really collect big, meaningful, impactful data. And, and we had a crazy idea that we might be able to take an interesting research question, put together a protocol, a, a really well-structured easy to follow protocols that would be peer reviewed, but could then be socialized using modern methods of networking, social media, to engage people that, that we didn't even know, that we hadn't even met before, but give them the protocol and say, look, you can set this up at your center, you can collect data, you can submit it, we will join it all together, and then together we will analyze that and share it. And we did that first of all with a group called Star Surge which is still running today and has now grown into a European-wide um, network and that is, that is now being replicated globally. And, and that was very successful. And while we were in the, the first or second year doing that, we thought, what if this way of working could be scaled? What if we could do it not just across medical schools in the UK as it was back then? What if we could scale this across hospitals globally? So I worked closely with my colleagues, particularly at University of Birmingham, Anil Bangu, and a number of others, to start to try and put that in place. And people really did think we were crazy. Really, People really did think this was an idea that wasn't going to go anywhere. And we even perhaps mulled that over ourselves at some point. But our first study was just, I mean, there isn't always an element of luck in these things. Our first study started to run just in the build-up to the Lancet Commission and Global Surgery. So our timing was absolutely perfect. And we looked at outcomes following emergency laparotomy. And we had over 56 countries participating, a huge comparable data set. We did the analysis and we published that by human development indicators. We didn't name countries, we didn't name hospitals, but we showed the difference in outcomes based on uh, on the HDI, which is a composite measure, particularly looking at levels, relative levels of development between countries. And we showed definitively for the first time the range of um, difference in global outcomes from one standard, what became a bellwether procedure in, in the Lancet Commission around emergency laparotomy. Hugely impactful, but also importantly demonstrated that this new way of working to essentially professionally crowdsource engagement from hospitals around the world and, and submission of patient level frontline data was viable and was scalable. And, and we haven't looked back since then. The third study completed last year. It's currently being rolled out. It had huge traction. And the team at Birmingham have gone on to receive uh, very significant NIHR funding in combination with the University of Edinburgh and Warwick. And it's been really a huge success and a, a really revolutionary new way of working, which is now being emulated by groups around the world, which is, which is fantastic because this is, it's very open, it's very transparent, it harnesses modern technology and it is, it is the future way of working. I really do sincerely believe that. So talking to you, we definitely realised that you've been involved alongside your training and your studies for a long time. So sort of turning that to current students now, um, can you maybe give them some insight or some advice about how 
they can also get involved in global surgery at that level and in a sort of meaningful way, which still work with, you know, the sort of wider um, education. So it's a great area to be involved in, and there is a strong precedent now. It's interesting because when I look back on my early days in training, before the publication of the Lancet Commission on Global Surgery, there, there really weren't many, if any, academic departments looking at this area. It was the neglected stepchild of global health, as, as has often been quoted, and it was really difficult to get involved. It just wasn't seen as a priority area, an interest area. It certainly wasn't recognised as a as a academic specialty. And so I was really fortunate with my timing that I got involved in Lifebox and we set up Global Surge before the Lancet Commission was published. And since then, five years since then, really things have moved forward ex- rapidly, hugely rapidly. And I think the important thing to note in this has been that medical students have played a key part of that. And I've said before, I've, I've never seen in my career an area that medical students have, uh, and junior doctors have made such a great contribution to in helping advocate, raise awareness, drive interest. And so I think there are many more opportunities now for students to get involved because of that than, than there were previously. There are a number of uh, academic departments in the UK now that have interests in global surgery. And so, and because it's a, still a relatively small young field, they are very keen to hear from students and junior doctors nationally and internationally that would be interested in working with them. There are many opportunities to provide support. There are increasingly funding streams coming on board. And so if that angle or avenue is an area that people are interested in, there, there are plenty of projects to, to get involved in. Secondly, I think from a more practical aspect, there are many NGOs, in, including Lifebox now, that have dedicated medical student forums for people to be able to learn more get involved particularly in the the focus of that specific NGO and again those are organizations that will absolutely welcome students with open arms to uh, play a role and contribute and and will really welcome their enthusiasm. And going a step further for current trainees, um, junior and senior trainees, so especially if they are actually training in in surgery it's already a very demanding um sort of pathway so how did you balance both of those at at a time where opportunities were far scarcer than right now and how would you advise them maybe to sort of strike the right balance between trying to pursue these opportunities and also um, being a surgical trainee because that's something a lot of trainees says um, is sort of a difficult balancing act. Mm. It's certainly it's certainly not an easy balance um, but I think whatever you whatever you choose to do and make your area if you've got a, um, a real passion for it a real enjoyment in it then it's it's something you will um, you will pursue and you'll you'll find ways of making it work and find that balance. I think certainly I get approached by a lot of trainees who are interested in exploring that. And I think for any area in global health, one of the difficulties is the need to actually try and spend time on the front line, in the field, being involved in this work so that you have that experience. Because I think for any any area of, of global health and global surgery, having that is really invaluable. It really gives a much greater understanding of the sorts of challenges that are being dealt with on a day-to-day basis, which are very difficult. It's very difficult to put yourself in the shoes and imagine that from you know, sitting in your in your doctor's mess in your hospital in your high-income country. Now, how do you actually go about doing that? 
I think this is, a, for many, a case of finding time either in between training, out of training, in annual leave, to take up opportunities either through helping existing NGOs on, on projects or through taking a actual defined period of time out to be able to go and work in those settings and there are lots of opportunities for doing that vso voluntary service overseas in the uk there are hospital surgical departments in the uk and global health departments that offer up opportunities to spend uh, uh, a period of time on attachment working out to the front line many people i know have individually organized opportunities if they have a three-month gap in training or they're prepared to take six months out to actually um, connect with them people in appropriate settings that would be happy to welcome them and give them that opportunity so there, there are ways and means it is it is difficult to strike that balance but it, it but it absolutely is possible thank you can you tell us a little bit about actually global surgery what it means to you and what you think it means right now five years after the launch of the uh, Landsat Commission and with the progress that you've seen? So for me, global surgery is about the provision of access to safe, high quality care, but with an equity that in many parts of the world doesn't currently exist. And so there is a, there's a humanitarian element to it. There is a strong clinical surgical practice element around the quality. But it's also the coming together of a number of different fields to support a surgical system in many places where surgery is still deprioritized um, as a clinical field. It's still seen as, uh, as expensive, as nice to have. And that brings together aspects of public health, of economics, of planning and working through the design of a health system, of the workforce to support it, myriad different elements. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find it so interesting, because there is actually so much to explore, but so much good that can be done through helping countries and healthcare providers build this and deliver it. And I think one of the really important elements that came out of the Lancet Global Commission and surgery is that surgery isn't a nice to have. If you actually compare operations in terms of benefit, both, both human, but also economic to individuals and to countries, many surgical treatments are as efficacious, if not more so, than many global health interventions that we wouldn't think twice about these days. And so uh, it's, a, it's a really exciting area. It's expanding rapidly. It's getting the priority that it deserves to have. I think that the current period we're going into now with pivoting of health systems towards coronavirus is definitely going to present some interesting challenges. But absolutely, this is something that is, that is there now, is well supported and well established, and is a, a really, I think, a great area to, to focus your career interests on. Thank you very much. What do you think your younger self, so let's say Dr. Fidrol, but like when you was a first year medical student, would say to you, seeing your journey and your career now? My younger self would never believe the journey that I'd been on. And I think if, if I was told that back then, I simply wouldn't have believed it. And I think that what I would tell my younger self is, is perhaps what I have done and how I have approached it, which is to keep an open mind. You can plan to an extent and you can have uh, ideas and aspirations, but 
I think the most important thing is not to close yourself off to interesting opportunities that come up. And sometimes you follow them and they, you don't know where they're going to take you. But go in with open eyes and open mind and, and be open to the possibilities. Be, be flexible and ultimately follow what is of interest to you. What, what you want to actually engage in and do. And you will find, and I was told this as a, as a younger trainee, that those interests and priorities will change as, as you develop through life, both as an individual uh, and through different phases, but also based on the different experiences you encounter. And I have always tried to be open to that and be open to the fact that actually whatever plan might have had needs to go in the bin now and we're going to take a different tack and and just see where it takes me and what would would be the the quality that you possess um that you're most proud of it's probably that openness to collaboration going back to the start i think if i if i look at some of the things that i'm most proud of in my career none of those came about individually those are all things that were achieved through through working with colleagues, through collaborating with groups, collaborating with departments, collaborating with teams, what you can achieve when you all get together with a clear vision and some insightful leadership and a strong idea knows no bounds. And so finally, what is your biggest achievement then? I couldn't highlight only one. I think if I was to reflect back on what's been most impactful in the last few years then it certainly has been contributing to the the new global professional crowdsourcing methodology that we developed through star surge and global surge and i think the the longevity and, and impact of that will last far beyond my time certainly i hope it will the signs are looking good so far but equally that's established now and it's time to get on and develop whatever it's the next thing is that i'm going to be proud of Thank you very much, Dr. Fitzgerald. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you soon.